Our Old Testament lesson today comes from the prophet Micah, chapter 6, beginning with the first verse. Hear what the Lord says. Rise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, you mountains, the controversy of the Lord, and you enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has a controversy with his people, and he will contend with Israel. O my people, what have I done to you? In what way have I wearied you? Answer me, for I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery, and I sent before you Moses and Aaron and Miriam. O my people, remember now what King Balak of Moab devised, what Balaam, son of Beor, answered him, and what happened from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the saving acts of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with tens of thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The way that the prophet talks, or at least the way his book reads, It can be difficult to sort out which words are assigned to which speaker. So a bit of context may be helpful. God is displeased by the way that his people are living. And Micah the prophet is given the unenviable role of mediating a difficult conversation between the creator of the world and the created. To do so, he places us squarely in a courtroom. Rise and plead your case, he says. Micah says, rise and plead your case before the hills and the mountains. For the Lord has accused his people of wrongdoing. And then we hear God's voice. And God reveals deep frustration. God has a right to feel this way. God is frustrated any time we forget our history. And so God says... Do you not remember when I rescued you from Egypt? Do you not remember when I led you through the wilderness or when I saved you from certain destruction? God is frustrated any time we forget how it is the God of the universe that has carried us this far on the way. Now this frustration does not mean that God gives up on us or washes God's hands of us. It never means that. But God is frustrated because he sees people who ought to be living lives that stem from gratitude. But that's not what's happening. So having heard God's frustrations, we next hear the Hebrew people's frustrations. Yes, we know, they seem to say. We know what you have done. What more do you want from us? When will our sacrifices finally be enough? 
Will it take burnt offerings or rivers of oil or firstborn children? What exactly do you want from us? That is the tension into which the prophet's next words are spoken. A courtroom with both sides frustrated with one another. Now it's a shame I thought and I thought and I thought about some sort of parallel example, some way to highlight the level of drama in the room as a ruling or a response is anticipated. Couldn't come up with anything. I am not in any way meaning to draw connections between plaintiffs and defendants in courtrooms past or present, but I do mean to draw a comparison to the amount of weight placed upon what would be said next. It was into that moment that the prophet says to the Hebrew people, God has told you, O mortal, what is good. God has told you what the Lord requires of you, that you do justice, that you love kindness, and that you walk humbly with your God. That is the ruling handed down, a ruling that contains some of the best-known words in both the Jewish and Christian traditions. But this ruling carries with it at least two risks. First, it opens the door to understanding faith as being about little more than good manners. Be nice, speak gently, hold the door, help someone who's carrying something heavy. And those are all wonderful things. But those are things that you can learn anywhere. If that is all our faith is about, it's very nice. But it still leaves us and the whole world wanting. The second risk, of course, is the exact opposite, that we would hear these words and be overwhelmed by the state of the world and write off any sort of impact that one person or even one church might have upon it. Thankfully, it was in the year 70 that a rabbi known as Tarfon commented on Micah's holy words. He said, do not be daunted by the enormity of the world's grief. Do justly now. Love kindness now. Walk humbly now. You are not obligated to complete the work, he said, but neither are you free to abandon it. And it was Eugene Peterson, a Presbyterian pastor himself, who much more recently wrote a paraphrase of these verses. Now, he wrote this paraphrase with great knowledge of all of the nuance of the ancient languages that Rebecca just taught you all about. With that in mind, he wrote, God has already made it plain how you are to live and what you are to do. Do what is fair and just to your neighbor. Be compassionate and loyal in your love. And don't take yourself too seriously, but take God seriously. I find the words of both Rabbi Tarfan and Reverend Peterson to be helpful as we navigate how to follow God's instruction in our lives today, especially in our everyday lives. 
We've been talking for several weeks now about how our sacred, ordinary days, how sacred and ordinary our days are. What does doing justice, loving kindness, and walking humbly with God look like? Not in the extreme moments, but in the everyday or every hour. Do justice. Several years ago, my friend Roger was preaching at a small conference in Alaska, and it was held in a local congregation, and each evening, Roger would ask someone from the congregation to get up and share a story of how they had seen God at work in their life. On Friday, a man named Bill volunteered. Bill was an elder at that congregation. He was the founder and owner of a well-known architecture firm, He had over 120 employees. He was well-liked and admired. He had a wonderful wife and two great children. By all appearances, Bill lived a perfect life. And that night, Bill stood up in front of the congregation, took a deep breath, and said, I have seen God at work in my life every day, because as of today, I have been sober for eight years. I am a recovering alcoholic, and it is a battle every day. When he said this, there was a gasp in the congregation. And then Bill looked at his wife, Anne, and he said, I have seen God at work every day because I am still married to the most wonderful woman in the world. And even in the bad times, Anne, you put up with me. I love you more now than ever. I see God in you every day. And he looked at his two teenagers, and he said, I see God at work every day because I have the two most amazing kids. And there were times when I was a terrible father to you. In these past eight years, I have tried to make it up to you. I am so proud of you, and I am so grateful for your love. No father could ask for better children. Later that night, Roger thanked Bill for his courage, and Bill said, it wasn't courage. It was the right thing to do. Sometimes that is what it means to do justice, to do the right thing, to do what is fair and just, to restore relationships, to look out for those who have been wronged and make a change. It is true for our neighbors And it is true in our own homes as well. Do justice. And love kindness. A few of you have met my friend Susan. I hope everyone has a friend like Susan. She spent two days driving with me from Kansas City to New York City in a rented minivan with myself, two dogs, and three houseplants. Everyone needs a Susan. But in addition to being a remarkable friend, Susan is a loving spouse and a fantastic mother to a young man. Her son turned 21 this year, but he will never live alone, never work unsupervised, never do most of the things mothers dream their children will do. Her son has severe autism, and for him, more often than not, that means that his communication is limited and there are unexpected outbursts, and he has seizures. 
In these past few months, the doctors have made adjustments to his medication, but that doesn't always go smoothly. And the last adjustment caused some uncontrollable emotion. Susan says it happened one brief moment. It was one brief moment of anger, she says. And she was struck in the eye by her son's hand. And that freak accident, as she calls it, punctured her right eye and dislodged it. After a long surgery, the doctors were able to save her eye, but not her vision. But as Susan was being rushed to the hospital, there was a lot of commotion. She was in pain, and the paramedics were tending to her. But her son was in the midst of an already challenging day, and he was being agitated even further when separated from his mother. And the more upset he became, the more insistent the medical professionals were that they be kept separate because she needed to be kept still and get to the hospital quickly. But eventually Susan stopped everyone using her best no-nonsense mother voice and insisted she would refuse all further medical treatment until she could see her son. Her son was brought over to her and she took him by the hand and said, I will be okay. The doctors will take care of me. I will be back. I love you. You are my son. In her moment of tremendous need, Susan made sure her son, who could not take care of himself, would be taken care of. And she made sure that he understood as best she could that she was going to be okay. In her moment of need, Susan looked at her boy, whose life was a challenge every day, and said, I love you. You are always my son. Be compassionate and loyal in your love. Love kindness. And walk humbly with God. It's interesting to me that in the Hebrew, the emphasis in this phrase is placed on walk rather than humbly. This whole section is actually about imperative verbs, do, love, and walk. That order is intentional. We do justice, we love kindness, and we walk humbly with God. That order is intentional because when we do what is fair and just, And when we love with loyalty and compassion and kindness, then we are indeed walking humbly with God. I've mentioned to you before that I played field hockey when I was younger. At one point in high school, I developed a stress fracture from all of the training, a fracture bad enough that I had to wear a boot for three months. Now the thing about wearing one of those boots aside from the remarkable fashion statement it makes, is that no matter how careful you are, you inevitably end up limping at least a little bit. Now what's more, my doctors had determined that part of the reason I had hurt myself was that my foot wasn't striking the ground quite right. Obviously, my knees and my legs and my feet were getting the job done, But the reason it had become so problematic was that every time I stepped down, my alignment was, and I believe this is the technical medical term, my alignment 
was a total mess. And so they said that once that boot came off, I would have to relearn how to walk. And only then could I relearn how to run. Now I know that some of you are all too well aware of this yourselves. It is really hard to relearn something you've known how to do nearly your entire life. I spent months relearning how to walk learning what part of my heel should strike first and on what angle, learning how long my natural stride should be, learning to make sure my feet were always parallel, then learning how to do all of that while actually moving through the world where I had to pay attention not only to my steps, but also my surroundings. My friends teased me mercilessly the way only good friends can do. It's easy to see you coming, they would say, because you move slower than everyone else. The crowds part on either side around you. You walk like a very tall toddler. Relearning how to walk is difficult, but it is worth it. And I think that's what God, through the prophet Micah, was asking of the Hebrew people. That's why all those verbs are imperatives. What does God require of us? Do justice, love kindness, walk humbly, even when that means unlearning and relearning something you've known for years, even if it means a stumble or two or three. What if when we walked, or what if when we relearned to walk, we did it in a way that made it easy for people to see when we were coming. Because the trust we have in God and the love we have for Jesus Christ would be so readily apparent. As New Yorkers, we walk an awful lot. But the entirety of life is a journey. So the next time you head out the door, pay attention to every step you take and to what story your steps are telling. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.